This show is brought to you by thegamecubeiscool.com. To find download links to our episodes, follow us on social media, or shop in our store, it's all there. Created by Mike Lane Studios. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. It has been a long time since it was just the two of us where I read the back of the cases before the episode, but today we're covering 10 whole movie tie-in games and it's going to take way too long for us to do it during the episode, so we figured I would record them all now and then you can either skip ahead to the beginning of the episode or if you want to hear the back of the cases like Top Gun and Rocky now, by all means, sit back and enjoy. By the way, last week Marty blew me out of the water with that Ribbit King back of the case segment. I need to step my game up, so here we go. First up, we have Disney Tarzan Untamed. Untamed, the beast within. As the primal action hero Tarzan, use the extreme athletic skills through the dense jungle to rescue your animal friends from vicious poachers. Next up, we have Scorpion King Rise of Acadian? Rise of the Acadian? I don't care. Experience the adventure that started it all. In an original story inspired by the blockbuster film The Scorpion King, the Acadians were a tribe of warriors unparalleled in the deadly art of assassination. Their skill is put to the ultimate test when a dark lord named Magus is determined to harness the powers of the underworld. Play as the Scorpion King using all of your wits, okay, training and weapons to defeat Magus before he unleashes an army of bloodthirsty creatures on mankind. Next up, we have Bloodbrain. Behold, Agent Bloodrain, half-human, half-vampire, all-woman. Let this wickedly sexy heroine escort you into the terrifying world of the occult. It's pre-World War II, and the Nazis intend to dominate the world using supernatural evils. As Agent Bloodrain, you'll travel through the eerie swamps of Louisiana to Argentina and Germany in this battle-heavy third-person thriller, all the while satisfying her passion, lust for human blood. Passionate lust, I should say. Top Gun Combat Zones. Do you feel the need? for speed. With 36 different missions, including Academy Tutorial, Top Gun lets you experience every single situation a jet fighter pilot can put himself through. High altitude dogfights, low flying blitz attacks, military and civil rescues, city, arctic, desert, night, day missions. You will have a fight against... You will have to fight against dozens of different airborne and ground-based enemy vehicles to prove worthy of your Top Gun pilot rank. No other game allows you to fly down streets on your side taking pot shots at enemy launchers with such realistic details. I'm sure there is no other game like that, I'm sure there's not. Die Hard Vendetta. America's unluckiest cop is having another very bad day. John McClane is back, this time in an all-out battle to save his daughter. Rely on the killer instincts that made McClane a legend. Use your wits and everything else at your disposal to blast your way through LA's seedy underbelly. Take out a multitude of bad guys and save the day as the Die Hard saga continues. Moving on to Rocky. Absolutely stellar, said IGN. The saga continues. Relive the Rocky saga in movie mode and take on every opponent as Rocky took him from Rocky to Rocky V. Under the hard knocks training of Mickey, take your shot against gritty Philly brawlers and big time bruisers like Clubber Lang with crushing signature moves, real time d damage, and cinematic style. The prediction of this bout? Pain. Next up, we have Minority Report, based on the Tom Cruise film. Minority Report. Everybody runs. Steven Spielberg's futuristic thriller explodes and onto the Nintendo GameCube. 2054. You are a pre-crime officer, John Anderton, head of an elite police division that can predict and apprehend murders before their crime can be committed. Anderton thought the system was perfect, until it came after him. Now you're on the run, fighting for your life through over 40 action-packed levels. Take on human and robotic enemies with hand-to-hand -hand combat moves and an explosive arsenal of weapons as you attempt to clear your name and stop an insidious conspiracy before it's too late. 
Finally, we have Reign of Fire based on the Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey flop. 2024 AD. In a post-apocalyptic world, mankind struggles to survive under a reign of fire from the skies. You must lead a dangerous crusade to bring these flying beasts to their knees. Fight fire with fire. Battle dragons in the sky and beasts on the ground with high-tech weaponry and military-style vehicles. Unleash fast-paced firepower as a dragon fighter in 16 mission loaded with chaotic action, destruction, and explosions. Ravage Earth as a dragon swooping from above to hurl fireballs and natural napalm with every breath. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the Back of the Case segment for this episode. I will now pass on the mic to Neil and Mike to start this episode. So boys, take it away. The GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Oh, well, thanks, Victor, for that uh, lovely little Christmas uh, holiday jingle there. I like that. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, to get us in the mood. Yeah, I love it. Christmas season is upon us, everybody. Now we're into December, as we decided last week. It's now acceptable to uh, put on Christmas music and put on Christmas movies and all that jazz. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And, well, yeah, and also the movie All That Jazz. Oh, yeah, of course. Is that a Christmas movie? I've uh, never seen it. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think it is, but okay. but I feel like I feel like it's acceptable to watch at Christmas time. I think that there's too many of those movies, Mike. We're obviously going to talk about that later today, but I really don't like it when just because Christmas is referenced in a movie, it's all of a sudden okay to talk about it at Christmas time. Oh, oh, you know we're going to talk about it today. You no, know that's coming up. But no, it's a great time of year to wind down. You know, December is always a weird month, especially that week between Christmas and New Year's. That's not a real week. But it's just <laughs> it's it's just a good time of year to just wind down, you know. But this year, of course, don't see any loved ones unless, of course, you want to kill them. <laughs> Maybe just hide inside and play some video games for December, okay? That's what, that's what we'll be doing. Yep, definitely. And we're going to be talking about video games mostly. Mm-hmm. Yep, Mike, I need some I need your help with this. So I was peeling a banana today because I was making banana muffins, and apparently, according to my family, I peel bananas wrong. Okay, yeah, this is good. This is good because this should this is gonna be another one of our polls. We're gonna be putting this one out. You know that, yeah. And it's um how do you peel a banana? Stem yeah. first or mm -hmm. the you know, the the butt I don't know. The butt, yeah. Stem or butt. The butthole and of the banana. <laughs> so I I'm a butthole uh, guy. That's how that's how I peel it. Me too. Yeah, I okay. pinch I pinch the butthole and I I uh, peel it back. One it usually comes out in three nice strips at a time. And that's how I've done it my entire life because I mean I didn't eat bananas when I was a kid, but that's how I did it since I was a teenager or whatever. Sorry, you didn't uh, eat you didn't eat bananas when you were a kid. Like No, I would eat like banana bread and I would eat banana yogurt. I liked banana yogurt, but uh no, I didn't eat I didn't like bananas for the first I'm going to say 14 to 15 years of my existence. How did I not know this? I don't know. I mean, when did we, we, we ate a lot of strawberries and watermelon together as kids. That's yeah. of course one of the, the highest ranking fruits in our, in our tier of fruits, but bananas, we never, we never like shared a banana. We, I, we, <laughs> we, never, <laughs> we shared a watermelon. We shared a pint of strawberries, but bananas not a shareable fruit at all. Not a shareable fruit. Very much a solo fruit. Bananas are. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you and I agree on the proper method to peel a banana uh, because that's how monkeys do it, Neil. Exactly. That, that's who taught me how to peel a banana was watching, honestly, Donkey Kong was every time he was <laughs> holding a banana in the marketing material, the stem was down and he was holding the banana upright. And that, that's, so that's how I peel bananas. Yeah. Cause you get, you get the best, uh, the best way to hold it is with yeah. the stem. Yeah. Yeah. You have like your own little handle there and, and I don't know, it just makes sense to me that cause otherwise 
don't know. I feel like if I'm peeling it from the stem, I'm going to snap the banana off or something. I'm going to lose exactly. that top quarter, right? It makes no sense. But apparently everybody else in my family peels it stem up. I'm the only one that peels it with the stem down. So obviously, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be another poll out uh, this week asking you to please vote on how you peel a banana. And I can hope- hopefully we don't get another 50-50 split like last time. I can't take another 50-50 split. That, that was infuriating. I think I might have to quit if we get another 50 <laughs> I'm just done with this podcast. <laughs> the true meaning of this podcast was to get to the bottom of all the weird idiosyncrasies that I have. And if I keep getting 50-50s, I'm not getting anywhere with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's not good data for us. No, not at all. Not at all. Okay, so we actually surprisingly have uh, GameCube related news uh, today, uh, Neil. Which is, yeah, I know we don't we don't usually get this lucky, but uh, <laughs> on the show today we have Crazy. Dan, friend of the show, Dan, coming to us live. Dan, how are you today? I am swell. How are you doing? I think we're doing pretty good. But uh, there is a topic near and dear to our hearts, and especially yours, that you want to talk about. What is this topic, Dan? Yes. Well, when I said swell, it was more of Canadian. Canadian politeness, uh, because yeah, things are th- things are not okay. Uh, so yeah, uh, right now the the uh, the melee community is well, you know, we're we're an in person tournament kind of gang, you know, liking our CRTs and our our game cubes and our setups uh, to tournaments. But uh, since there's a pandemic going on, uh, we've we've able to we were able to use this um, fellas mod Slippy uh, to allow us to do online matchmaking for melee, which is like smooth as butter uh, and so we were having a tournament on, on the december 4th weekend called the big house nine a uh, huge tournament happens every year uh but they got a cease and desist letter from nintendo and so it can't run and that's all snowballed from there yeah the big house has been going this is the ninth big house and it's like a, a huge huge tournament that everyone like absolutely adores and you know okay. us mealy folk we're always you know in person carrying our crts <laughs> you know to the events and <laughs> And whatnot, and so like obviously there's a pandemic going on, mm-hmm. and uh, there's been a lot of development since you guys did your melee episode. Yeah, um, like this fellow named Fizzy. Yeah, exactly. Fizzy uh, took it upon himself to basically go into the coding of the game and like get rollback netcode matchmaking for melee, which is like wild. And uh, so there's been like a huge resurgence in like people playing melee. Uh, and we can actually have tournaments again because, like, you know, the tournament scene, literally the, the game was dead because yeah. people can't meet up, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, and so people, you know, fought or fizzy worked, like, tirelessly, and it happened to line up perfectly with the pandemic. And so we've had a couple, like, great tournaments, and, like, and the, the online is great. Uh, and then they got a cease and desist from Nintendo, mm-hmm. which which is mm-hmm. Nintendo's, you know, mm-hmm. M.O., because yeah. they don't know how to do community well. Nope. <laughs> or play Not nice. at all. So, yeah, I was trying to under- just get a little bit of backstory on this today. Just while I was eating lunch, I was watching some videos. Um, yeah, it's it's just always been really frustrating for me as an outside Smash fan. I'm a very casual Smash fan. I think we established that in the Melee episode. I did play... I've played all the Smash Bros. games. I like Ultimate. That's the one that I choose to play now because it's the most accessible. It's on Switch. Yeah. Everybody plays it. There's like 100 characters in the game now, and it's all great. But it's just always so confusing to me that that the biggest thing standing in the way of the Smash community is Nintendo. Always. (laughs) They're always constantly trying to snuff out these little... like They're they're fans of your one game from... Yes, the game was released 18 years ago. And 
find a way to monetize it. If that's your big issue, that, that Nintendo's not making any money, they want to, I guess that's a North American way of thinking. But it, I just feel so bad for the Melee community. It's just, they're just this, one of the most passionate uh, gaming communities that I've ever seen. Yeah, much more of a community, like much yeah. more uh, camaraderie, I guess. And like theatrical and just big events. And then there's just the the big boys from Nintendo just constantly poking them in the eye, telling them to stop it. Like, yep. Yeah, so like Capcom, like, invests in their community they they created a circuit for like their so like a series of tournaments uh which is a beautiful thing because you know you're mm-hmm. you want to engage with the community that like supports your game and mm-hmm. like has like sure. a love for it um but nintendo has always really it's it, like they'll they'll sponsor an event but all that means is like they, they don't put any money towards the the game they don't even like really support it they just it's basically oh we won't cease and desist you yeah. Uh, but even then, mm. then you, then once you're, you know, you're partnered with Nintendo, you're usually the first one to get cease and desisted. So can 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 melee tournaments? Can they not uh, go on their own? Like, do they do they have to be sponsored by Nintendo to legally host a melee tournament? Because if if that's the issue, why don't they just not? I get it that there's prize money involved, and and maybe they need to have Nintendo's. Uh, you know, stamp of approval to make sure that it's okay that you host this tournament with maybe a few thousand people or a few hundred people in the in the room. But if if they're constant, if you're constantly asking for Nintendo support and they're not giving it to you, can you just move on without them and play the game in a in a convention hall somewhere in the states or in Toronto or wherever you may be? So yes and no. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and you know that's how we've done it for for ages, and you know mm-hmm. we we fly under the radar as it were. Um, cause you know, Nintendo is like, they've got this obsession with controlling their IP, yeah. uh, like, like a Disney style approach legality wise, like any, any like IP holder can just be like, no, you can't stream our game. And Nintendo's done this before, like 2014, 2016 on YouTube, they were, they were copyright claiming like people just streaming, playing a Mario game. They're like, nope, nope. Yeah. You have to go through us, which is like. What? <laughs> like this is free advertising for you. Yeah. And like it's people engaging with this game mm-hmm. that you made. Uh and they were just they were just like clear and cutting and you know, just tearing everything down. And eventually they came out of that because mm-hmm. of the backlash. Uh but there's still that mentality there. So legally they can be like, hey, like shut this down, but no one does it because it's free marketing and free advertising. Um now the right. the thing is, Nintendo has strung along the melee community for ages and so it it was always like uh, an operation of good faith uh like oh like if we give them a booth at our tournament for like and then also let them run their ads like maybe we can build this relationship where they they want to 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 make a circuit and you have you have sponsors like out the yin yang like you had dr pepper wanting to really get into project m which is like a like a fan-made mod game they wanted to support people in that scene and you have Red Bull and uh, like some circuit leagues that wanted to like, hey, let's like do something with Melee, but they have to go through Nintendo and then Nintendo mm-hmm. just doesn't engage or like says they're gonna and then like just not follow through on it. It's almost like trying to get approval from like your dad or something and they just <laughs> never, never give it to you, you know? I do sympathize with Nintendo in the sense of just shutting things down. I get that from a business mm-hmm. perspective. I get it. You know, once you allow one thing, you kind of like the, the floodgates open. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you do that, if you take that approach, then you have to create the community and you have to provide the community with proper support. 
like that's 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 the biggest issue here i think really leave us mealy with uh <laughs> rollback net code yeah like at the, at, <laughs> right? at, one guy did it <laughs> exactly <laughs> at the end of the day it's like you can't fault Nintendo for season desisting people because it's their legal right to do so, but it's you can fault them for not providing support to the community. Yeah, it's I, like I, they they're legally within their rights, but like it's a mm-hmm. dick move. Yeah, I yeah I agree. Like it it comes down to the same thing with old video games and uh co- and emulators. Like a lot of the times people say you know don't emulate a game. You're you're taking money away from the developers and the publishers. <laughs> but if for example, there, there's almost no way to play a game like Cubivore unless yeah. <laughs> unless you're willing to spend $400 on a disc and buy the GameCube and probably a CRT TV or, or maybe a widescreen if you want to hook it up to that. And that that's probably all in all a $500 investment to play a game that an eBay seller will see the money for, not Nintendo. Yeah, um, I, I know. I hate when people make that argument. Yeah, I, I think I think um, in 2020 that the fact that there are hundreds if not thousands of games at this point that are not available Definitely thousands of games are not available on Switch, which should be. The entire NES, up until the GameCube library, should be on Switch, hands down. Like, no questions asked. Of course. So, Dan, is there, obviously, this sucks, terrible situation. Is there anything the listeners can do to help the cause of uh, of, uh, of Melee here? Absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> Backlash does have an effect. So, there's two trending hashtags, hashtags right? Yes. Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you so there's there's the free melee hashtag, uh, and that's evolved into save smash because uh, we've been finding a lot, a lot of people, having seen what's happening, have been corroborating stories and like learning about how Nintendo's kind of impacted the community in like insidious and negative ways, and so that that uh, those two hashtags have been. Uh, I think they've been trending. I, again, I'm not a Twitter person, uh, but that would be very helpful uh, in this because yeah, we just we love our community so much, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's just like mm-hmm. Nintendo. Like, we don't need like your support. It would be amazing and mutually beneficial. Yeah, but like we just want you to leave us alone. <laughs> at the end of the day, yeah, like <laughs> and like like I said, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's their you know if if they put cease and desist so it's their responsibility to then provide support to the community. And uh, and I think that's what everyone wants. So like you said, it's mutually beneficial. Nintendo, hopefully you are, have been listening to these hashtags uh, on Twitter and, and every other social media platform. Because, yeah, like you said, Dan, um, you know, bad PR that it goes somewhere. And uh, yep. and, you know, hopefully that we can have an uh, impact on that. Yeah, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the episode today and just bringing this message to the community. It's so rare that Mike and I have GameCube related news to talk about in 2020. <laughs> and like Mike said, hopefully everyone can get out there and try and use the hashtag on Twitter. And I guess it also works on Facebook and Instagram. I don't know. But uh, anything on you can do on social media, yeah, just any any social, whatever you do on social media with your whatever your biggest platform is. Do a TikTok duet with uh, with uh, Melee. <laughs> <laughs> I learned about that the other day. I So did I. <laughs> yeah. Just thank you guys for uh, for uh, allowing me to, to, you know, get on my soapbox. Uh, yeah. The GameCube was and is cool. Like, yes. uh, you know, there's still a thriving community, even like on the on like the Facebook pages, just seeing people modding uh, like GameCubes to have like LED lights and like, oh, man, new functionality. It's just it's amazing. Yeah. Like, people are amazing. And, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. it. Just, yeah. Be nice to people. Be nice to people. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dan, for coming on. And uh, we hope to see you very soon for another episode. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, buddy. See ya. Mike, I gotta ask you: Do we get any uh, more listener mail this week? Did you read anything good? No. 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no. do, do you have anything? Is this I why do. you're trying to set this up? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I like to let you go first. I'm just trying to be polite. It's a conversation here. Sometimes you catch comments that I don't read and I catch comments that you don't read. So I feel yeah, like... It, yeah, and it seems like you just did. So yeah, I did. I mean, this one's not so much a comment. I think it was more of just a conversation piece. But this one comes from Sven. He said, uh, quote, You guys mentioning the M&M's secret formula game brought back deep buried memories. My mom got it for me. It was marketed as a math game in Europe. I remember it was actually a decent game and not forcing math on you. Hot take. Maybe a better game than the one at your old school that you mentioned. And of course, uh, Sven is referencing Math Circus, which I find that very hard to believe if that is a better math game than Math Circus, but it could be. It could be. I mean, yeah, yeah, we've never played that M&M game, so that's one of the main reasons we do this show Mm -hmm. is so people can have these crazy nostalgia trips and just kind of remember stuff like that that actually had a impact on their childhood that yeah. they kind of forgot about for years. Mm-hmm. But I was just thinking about uh, listener comments in general. Uh, last week, I was editing last week's episode, and it just sunk into me that we had a listener uh, write in who said that we helped them get through their night shifts. Uh, and I was just thinking about how just a couple of years ago, I was I was that person. Like I was working in a warehouse. I wasn't very happy. Uh, I was listening to podcasts all day because I had no one to talk to. And it was a very it was very mundane work. I wasn't maybe this listener enjoys that work. I don't know. But uh, I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, I, I should write in and tell and tell uh, these podcasters that they're helping me get through this eight to 10 hour day of just misery sometimes and now and now just to think like i'm or you and i are on the other side of the mic now and we're doing that for somebody else was just it just hit me the other day i was like holy crap like i did not think that we'd even get even to get one listener to tell us that is it just means the world to me to to hear that yeah pretty cool yeah so please keep up with these comments uh they do mean a lot to mike and i to read and we enjoy reading them we still haven't had a negative one really yet so yeah so we gotta come down hard on us for some facts that we've messed up Oh, we, we mess up so many facts. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 29 of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast services. If you haven't already, take a moment to subscribe to us on whatever service you use so you don't miss an episode. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. Visit thegamecubewascool.com. We have a new website where you can find our social media channels, episodes available to download. Leave us a rating or review and explore our lovely store. Christmas is right around the corner and we think you'd look darn good in one of our t-shirts. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. I did it. We have a website now. (laughs) We did. We do. That's pretty sweet, dude. We're going to talk about that today even Mm -hmm. more. Last week, we covered six weird but classic games. Uh, If you don't know what I mean by that, check out the episode. Uh, If you were busy last week celebrating Thanksgiving, it's a good one, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. This week, we are covering a whole bunch of movie tie-in games. These are games from 2001 to 2002, and we're not including any games like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, or Spider-Man, since we covered those games in separate episodes. The Spider-Man episode is actually already up on episode 26. Go and check that episode out. So for today, Mike, let's talk about some uh, movie tie-in games. What do you say? Yeah, let's talk about some very mediocre games and movies. Uh, so I'm going to start off each game by talking about the movie, the plot, and explaining you know whether this movie was good or not, uh, my mm. memories of these movies, uh, and then we're going to go into the game and uh, what went wrong, usually, is, yeah. <laughs> is how this episode's going to go. Yeah, movie tie-ins, Mike, obviously you know a lot more about movies than me. You, you make an effort of watching way more films than I do. I've seen maybe three of the movies we're going to talk about today, but movie tie-ins as a genre of games was such a huge part of video games. Younger listeners may not know this, but in the NES, SNES, less so in the N64, but in the GameCube era especially, there are so many movie tie-in games because oh, it's so almost... Many. 
almost every movie that came out between 2001 and 2005, 2006 had a video game. Yeah, that's even not an if it had no it like no purpose having that game. Right. Like other than like maybe an adult film, but like if if you have a kids <laughs> movie coming out or even a game or a movie that's PG-13, you can almost guarantee it had a video game. Like a movie everything. And there are so many on GameCube. Like we're only covering 10 games today between 2001 and 2002, but the second half of the GameCube library was just jammed with movie tie-in games from like Barnyard and Finding Nemo. And we've already talked about games like Monsters, Inc. Like just every week there was a movie tie-in game. (laughs) And it was a big part of gaming back then, especially for young kids like us, because we enjoyed movies. We went to the movie theaters a lot. We went to Blockbuster to rent films. And it was just cool to have that, extend that experience a little bit more with a video game. Nowadays, there's iPhone games, which you can play or an app or something you can download. They make a Netflix series out of a random character that you didn't care about. Uh, But we didn't have that. So we pretty much just had the movie came out in theaters. You might get it on VHS or DVD when it comes out. And then you buy the PS2 or the GameCube version of the game and were likely disappointed, which a lot of these games were disappointments, or you were just thrilled to have a game to kind of extend that experience a little bit more. And I had a ton of those types of experiences when I was a kid. I had the Spider-Man games, which we talked about. I had Goldeneye and um, like Fantastic Four, just all the superhero video game movie tie-ins. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I I like the sound of kind of making this a little bit more of a film-centered podcast. That's exciting to me. (laughs) Well, I mean, just, you know, you can't talk about the game without talking about the movie. No. Uh, is obviously the the whole point here. And like you said, especially at this era, they were really tied together mm-hmm. uh, for better or for worse. And it's interesting that you mentioned how movie tie-ins were quite big in the NES and, and SNES era, as well mm-hmm. as the fact that there was a lot of clones of movies, you know, Lion King and Aladdin, uh, especially these Disney clones come to mind. Yeah. Uh, illegal clones also, just like, yeah. like fully just copyright infringement. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that might be one of the reasons why movie tie-ins kind of went away for a little bit in the late SNES, uh, early N64 era. But then they came roaring back in the uh, PS2 GameCube era. And then I think probably it's probably about 2000 to 2009. And then after that, you know, moving into 2010s, movies rarely got tie-ins anymore and developers focused on creating specific games for for franchises rather than uh, just a simple movie tie-in. Yeah, and if you look at the GameCube top-selling GameCube games, top-selling Xbox games, and top-selling PS2 games, uh, most of those lists are top 25 to 30 games. None of those games, for the most part, are movie tie-in games. So yeah. GameCube, you can I think the best list you can find is around 25 on Wikipedia, and the 25th game is about 1.1 million units. So that means that even the best movie tie-in game probably sold less than a million units. Uh, Xbox top 21 best-selling games, none of those none of those games are movie tie-ins, and then on PlayStation 2. Uh, the 36th best-selling game was Spider-Man with 2.8 million units. So that was the most... Uh, of this generation, you can assume Spider-Man is the best-selling movie tie-in game. In my mind, everyone had Spider-Man too. Like, so many mm-hmm. people had that game. And it only, like, was able to get the 36th best of um, for PS2. So that, that mm-hmm. I think, is really telling for how well these games yeah. did. Yeah. Like, there's no Spider-Man far, far From Home game, but there is a Spider-Man sony spider-man game and same thing with batman and that's a lot to do with the fact that the video video games as an industry have grown up so much you know Mm -hmm. right it's it's you know people realize that this is a really uh lucrative um lucrative industry to be in and so they realize that they don't have to just throw out games basically every uh every month or so they can actually make 
good games to get big profits and uh and there also that middle uh, market in the mid 2000s which has fallen away yes. almost like the, uh, the the middle income of the of the economy has fallen away like in the 2000s there was that thq those weird activision subsidiaries and their random development teams that they had but you know budgets get cut those developers go out of business and yep. we're actually starting to see a bit of a reversal happen now where now movies and tv shows are being made based on games so it's kind of like having a, a movie tie-in based on the game like this year we just had the witcher come out and they're constantly trying to make uncharted movies for some reason now they're <laughs> making ratchet and clank movies so we're starting to see a bit of a flip i don't think it'll ever be as intense as it was in the gamecube generation with movie tie-ins though definitely not no no so let's get started with the first movie tie-in game of the day. We have Tarzan Untamed, which was released on November 18th, 2001, making it a launch game... Day. Launch day, that's right. GameCube launch title. Developed by Ubisoft Montreal, uh, published by Ubisoft. It's also on PS2. Uh, this game, according to the GameCube anthology, gets a 4 out of 5 stars, which I think is a little bit inflated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, according to Metacritic, it gets actually a 61. Uh, price today, if you were looking to pick it up, it's about $15. This game would be considered an action game. So, of course, the Tarzan movie, we'll talk about that up front. That's a movie that came out by Disney in the, uh, what was it, the late 90s, and it came out... 1999. 1999, and it came out alongside of the one of the greatest Phil Collins albums of all time. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Phil Collins soundtrack, You'll oh, Be In My Heart. It's a classic. great song. Son of a man. I think, um, I think a lot of people actually, you know, just associate this movie with the soundtrack. Um, yes. I think it really just achieved the most amount of success because of... Uh, Phil Collins' soundtrack being huge at the time. That's true. A couple of fun facts about it. It was one of the first movies to use deep canvas, which is how many movies now create 3D backgrounds. Oh. At the time, it was the most expensive animated film ever made until Square Enix's Final Fantasy The Spirits Within, which we <laughs> talked about uh, on the Crystal Chronicles episode. Wow, I, I didn't know that, though. Um, I mean, obviously, I think everyone kind of knows the plot of Tarzan. We don't have to go into that, you know. No. Uh, man raised by apes, found by humans, protects the gorillas, has to choose whether he's an ape or a man, you know. Yep. The, uh, Wayne Knight is in it. Uh, Newman from Seinfeld. Uh, he plays the elephant. Yes, he is the elephant. I forgot about that when I was looking this up. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Close plays Kala, who is uh, the ape who raises Tarzan. So some good um, good voices mm. in this one. I did not know that. I, I love Tarzan. I saw. I didn't see it in theaters. I would have rented it by from yeah, Blockbuster uh, when after it came out. But I remember the marketing behind Tarzan was huge back then. It was like the Disney film of the late '90s. I think it, it had McDonald's toys. It obviously had a video game. They made a sequel to Tarzan, didn't they? Two. Tarzan uh, two? Direct direct to uh, to video. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Directive. A lot of those it's Disney. It's like Tarzan two and Tarzan and Jane or something. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And then this. This video game, actually, that's another thing I like about movie tie-in games is to kind of find out where they stand in the video game in the movie timeline because some movie tie-in games are prequels to the movie, some are sequels to the movie, and then some are are exact replicas or an adaptation of the film, kind of like Spider-Man 2 mm -hmm. being an, actually taking place during the film. But uh, Tarzan takes place after the it's events of the movie. Yeah. It's a sequel, yeah. So Tarzan and Jane are living together in the jungle and um, someone by the name of... Uh, Professor Archimedes Q, easy to say name. Uh, he's now uh, looking for Tarzan and trying to bring him back to uh, to Britain to kind of make him uh, an attraction. So this yeah. looks like a Donkey Kong Country clone. Yeah, for it a does. lot of parts of it, it looks fun. I I will admit, I I mm -hmm. will say that that four to five uh, might not be completely inflated because it does look like a lot of uh, fun to play it. Mm -hmm. But the game itself looks very N64 esque. I mean, it was a launch day title, and it honestly probably was supposed to be for the N64. 
uh, but yes. here we are. <laughs> yeah, I was that was probably the best praise I could give for the game was that this game looks like a very good N64 title. Yes, yeah. Sound, graphics, gameplay, it, you know, it's kind of an awkward game to play just because there's no music playing throughout the level for the most part. It's just the sound of birds chirping and just awkward grunts coming out of Tarzan <laughs> whenever he jumps. It's just... It just it just felt awkward to watch. I was watching gameplay of this one, and <laughs> as a kid, I mean, if you don't have anything to compare it to, giving the game a four out of five stars doesn't necessarily mean it's as good as Mario Kart Double Dash or Pikmin. It just means that it's trying to make an adaptation of a movie for kids, and it does it well, yeah, enough to get an eighty percent. That's all it means. It doesn't mean it's an eighty percent as long as well as something like Metroid or Zelda, yeah. where some of those games have four out of fives as well in the same book. That's not. It doesn't mean that it's as good as those games. I think people get that mixed up a lot when they hear reviews. They think it means it's exactly the same quality as what another four out of five is. It just means it's doing this very well, and I think it does as a movie tie-in. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's targeted for kids probably between the ages of five and ten. So the controls aren't going to be too hard. The the, the story's not going to be as captivating as something like The Last of Us. So yeah, no, I mean yeah, it it uh, it does look fun to play. Mm-hmm. The cutscenes look okay. They look decent. Yep. I know it, it's 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 definitely a, an okay game. Mm-hmm. It's known as Tarzan Free Ride in PAL in uh, yes. in, uh, in Japan and Europe, which is interesting. I thought because they for whatever reason they didn't want to use Untamed. Yeah, honestly, I don't have a lot to say for this game other than what you just said. I do have something interesting though. Okay. Uh, today I learned Disney no longer has the rights to Tarzan. It what? actually went back to the family of Edgar Rice Burroughs, who wrote the Tarzan books uh, back in the day. Um, and this is a fun fact that I hope. A listener uh, can answer uh, what other Disney IPs has Disney lost in the past? Because I can't think of any. Well, that's a good question. Because uh, as we know, Disney is notoriously stingent with their IPs and with their copyrights, and mm-hmm. they will go to you know pretty lengthy measures to make sure that they keep their IPs. So yeah, that's a that's a very good question. I don't know. I know that a lot of early Disney films up until what was the first? Was it Aladdin? What was the first Disney film that wasn't based on a book? Or a, a nursery rhyme or a poem, because most Disney films are up until something in the '90s. I think it was. I guess it would have been Lion King. I know Lion King is based on Hamlet, Hamlet but yeah. but it's not based on the poem Lion King. Like it's not yeah, based yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. So it might be Lion King. I, I, that's another piece of Disney trivia I can't remember right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Disney with their licensing right now is very confusing, as we've talked about with Marvel, and we'll talk about again later on with Star Wars. Just everything that they let go of and hang on to is very random and, and strange. But they're slowly acquiring everything, so it's it'll be fine. Yeah, don't worry. This podcast will soon soon be the Disney branded podcast, and we'll have to cut that one episode with Gavin out of it because uh, he badmouthed Disney. So, <laughs> name your price, Disney. Name your price. <laughs> Should we move on to the next game now? I think so. All right, let's move on to Driven, which was released on March thirtieth, two thousand and two. Developed by Crawfish Interactive, published by Bam. Uh, It's also on PS2, Xbox, and Game Boy Advance. Uh, This one gets about a 2 out of 5, according to the GameCube Anthology, which lines up pretty well with the Metacritic score of 55. Mm -hmm. Uh, This game would price nowadays around $13, and it would be obviously a racing game based on the Sylvester Stallone 2001 movie, Driven. Yeah, so uh, (laughs) the movie itself, I'm not sure if anyone has seen this movie. No. it is. uh, I have not seen it either. It's one of the few ones on here that I've never seen. It's apparently just an awful, awful movie. Uh, it's written and starring uh, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, yeah. It was a racing movie that it seemed like like it was supposed to be Rocky in racing form. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was all filmed in Toronto, 
which was pretty oh. cool. So that's always fun. Right on. That's where we record this podcast from. Exactly. From Toronto, yep. Ontario. Uh, nominated for lots of Razzie Awards, uh, Golden Raspberry. So okay. we, you know that's good. <laughs> <laughs> one of the, uh, it's, it's honestly one of the biggest box office flops of the 21st century. Oh, no. uh, 32 million on a $72 million budget. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. And remember uh, when, when you're talking about budgets with film, that doesn't include the marketing budget. So normally when you hear a budget of a film, double it because that, yeah. that's what it costs to advertise. So maybe more like $140 million. Maybe not that high for the mid-2000s, but yeah, still $32 million. Wow. Yeah, the director of it, Randy Harlan, mm-hmm. um, he famously lost millions in what is known as one of the biggest box office uh, bombs ever, which is this movie called Cutthroat Island. You ever heard of this, Neil? No, but it sounds like something I'd enjoy. So Cut <laughs> Cutthroat Island is it's a it's like a swashbuckler pirate movie. Okay, uh, I think it was released in '94. Mm-hmm. Uh, it lost 147 million dollars. How the heck? <laughs> it is in the Guinness World Record book uh, <laughs> uh, for for worst flop ever. Uh, it actually it killed like so many people's careers and um, and production studios. Wow! And uh, it actually killed the pirate genre uh, for eight years until Pirates of the Caribbean came out. Yeah. Um, which at the time was considered extremely extremely risky mm-hmm. uh, because of this movie because no of uh, Cutthroat Island. Yeah. So. Uh, like look, like looking now, you're like, oh, Pirates of the Caribbean, easy money maker. But mm-hmm. back then, it was a huge risk to do that. Wow, I had no idea. I did a little bit of research on Rennie Har- uh, Harlan. You said is his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, he did like a lot of just mid tier horror and action films, which I love from the early 2000s. Like there were so many. I don't think that there's as many now, but I feel like that there were a lot of just random action movies and horror films that came out around the time that we were in, you know, middle school. And uh, mm-hmm. it was fun to go to the movies and see them from time to time. But he actually released Deep Blue Sea, which I think is a pretty fun shark movie to watch. I'm oh, not yeah, sure I if you've that seen movie. that one. That's got Samuel Jackson in it. Yeah. And basically no one else. Um, <laughs> but that's actually a really fun movie to see. But uh, everything else he made, I don't, I can't say I've seen it. So, But yeah, D- uh, Driven being obviously another one of his failures. Um, the game <laughs> yeah. itself. So I actually got to play it. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So a uh, friend of the show, Jed, was nice enough to lend me this game sweet okay and i played it this week to get ready for the the podcast it's not great it's uh, it feels unfinished you know it it feels like they were like okay let's just make a gba game but for gamecube instead yeah Um, super repetitive like the only Mm -hmm. gimmick here is that uh you have the ability to go in the zone uh which just makes you go super fast It's it's funky mode it's funky mode, and it's like everything blurs around you. Like okay. the HUD blurs too. Oh god! Um, <laughs> and uh, but the problem is, is that you like you can't slow down or do anything because if you do the slightest like touch, mm-hmm. then you lose the in the zone mode, and it's yeah, it's not a fun game for sure. No, that that's kind of the criticism that I read online was that the game is too fast, or at least the cars are too fast, and then the handling is very loose. So once oh yeah, you start very doing, loose. Yeah, so once you start doing a few turns, you're going to be slamming into walls. Uh, but you can't take uh, any damage, so I guess that's okay. Your car won't randomly blow up like it does in F Zero, <laughs> um, which is nice. I guess that was a design mechanic. That oh no, you, you can take damage. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you can't. No, you you can, but you have to. Uh, if you've taken too much, the thing comes up saying press Y to repair your car. Oh, okay. That kind of yeah. reminds me of uh, pod racing. How you can yes. kind of repair your engines uh, slightly so that they don't overheat. 
Um, that's yeah. I, I actually like that about pod racing, but it, it it's um it, it feels like you could have had a much better time playing literally any other <laughs> racing game. Uh, the the cutscenes are really funny mm. because uh, it's like almost nine 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 esque. The cutscenes. It's just pictures of people. Okay. Like from the movie? Is it scenes from the movie? <laughs> no, it's just like animated pictures of people that are supposed to be from the movie. Got it. Okay. And it's and there's like terrible voice acting. There's just like someone who's like obviously trying to be Sylvester Stallone, but yeah. just like can't do the voice properly. Did they use his likeness in the game? Yeah, uh, okay. kind of. But again, like you can't see anything because you're only ever in the car. You don't yeah. do anything else except race. A lot of these actors have to give away their the rights to their their face for these games, and yep. um, we're going to talk about some more games soon where the character the, the actors did or didn't. I was watching footage of Driven on the Dolphin emulator on YouTube, and it actually looked good. It looks um, good on my TV too. Uh, mm-hmm. That was that was my one compliment for the game. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually looks pretty decent, and uh, there's quite a few courses that you can do. So they and they look realistic. So. Yeah, the the car looked nice, the lighting looked okay, and then yeah. the, the environments themselves seemed fairly smooth. The music sounded very uninspired, oh, though. Yeah, Just I, five minutes, lay down a track. And there's, there's only two tracks in the entire yeah, game. Yeah, I, I thought so. <laughs> yeah, two tracks, a music tracks, eight physical racing tracks, I believe, and then 12 drivers. So it's pretty bare bones for a, for a game. But. And I do have the back of the case here, and I would love to read this. Uh, oh sure, just, just because uh, you know, I because I have it's the only game that we actually have the case for. So that's right, yeah. And I read, of course, the back of the cases for all the other games up front, which you may have uh, listened to or skipped ahead. Um, so <laughs> we're obviously not reading those throughout this episode. But yeah, Mike, go ahead with uh, Driven. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Inspired by Sylvester Stallone's hit movie, Driven. (laughs) Race on eight stunning tracks, including California's Angel's Bay and Paris's Champs-Élysées. And um, on the bottom here, challenge your racing skills in multiple racing styles, exclusive team mode. Oh my god! Um, Featuring the vocal talents of Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) Oh, so it was him. It was him. Oh, he mailed that one in. (laughs) Nice. Well, I want to talk about Sylvester Stallone later because we're going to cover another game that he did. But um, so we'll we'll, we'll put a pin in that for later. I do want to just say one last thing. Uh, Obviously, Jed played this game and he said um, it was the only game my dad would play on the GameCube. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) I was like, okay. Uh, Honestly, I remember it being pretty chunky. That's probably why I never got super into it because the gameplay was only okay. I'm trying to remember if you could throttle your speed with the R trigger, which you can. That's something the Switch Pro Controller doesn't even do now, which is too bad. That is true. Uh, we talked about that a lot with Mario Sunshine uh, and the fact that you can. Uh, it's they are analog triggers, so the harder you press down, the faster you'll go. Yep. Yeah, those analog triggers, man. I mean, this game may be played best. Obviously, we said it's on uh, PS2, Xbox, and Game Boy Advance, but it might be best on GameCube. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows? That's actually a topic that I want to cover completely on its own. It's just people that have one video game memory. Like they've only played, they've <laughs> only played one game. And um, some people just like my mom, I think she's only played Tetris. So like for some people, video games means that one game. And it's just yeah. such a cool idea for someone like me who's probably played a hundred video games in their life, different games in their life now. Yeah. So yep. anyway, let's move on to the next game on our list here. Oh man. I, <laughs> I just Go read ahead, the title. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Scorpion King Rise of Akkadian? Of the Akkadian. Of the Akkadian, sorry. 
It was released on September 11, 2002. <laughs> oh my god, what are you thinking? Uh, developed by Point of View, published by Universal Interactive. It's also on PS2. It gets a 1 out of 5, which means <laughs> it is, in fact, a game. Um, 49% on Metacritic, which is a little high, in my opinion. Uh, priced at about $8. This game would be considered a beat-em-up. It could be also an action-adventure, I suppose. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it takes place before the first Dwayne Johnson film, not The Rock, uh, The Scorpion King. <laughs> These were very popular film or somewhat popular films in the early in the uh, early two thousands. Um, after the Mummy two, um, the Mummy Returns, where they introduced the Scorpion King, this sort of mm-hmm. became a spin off to that. I actually really adore the Mummy movies, uh, at least the first two. That they're a big part of my childhood. I used to watch them with my brother all the time, and mm-hmm. we never got into the Scorpion King the same way we did the Mummy. Uh, you and everyone else. Yep. Actually, you know what? I think I did watch Scorpion King. I think I saw that in art class in grade nine. Now that now that you mention it, <laughs> why? I, I think we. I don't know because we were studying like Egyptian. We were studying Egypt probably, and we watched that for some reason. They studying Egypt. Yeah, watch this. Great, great <laughs> representation of Egyptian history. But no, even for two thousand one, the Mummy two, Dwayne Johnson's CG of that character is so bad. <laughs> even then, we were like, "What the hell is what is this for real?" But. Uh, do you have any notes on the Scorpion King, Mike, before we... Oh, of course. It takes place about 5,000 years before The Mummy. Okay. Um, and this is actually Dwayne Johnson's first leading role, so congrats to him on that. Hmm. Um, the Scorpion King is a real person, also. King Scorpion was king of Egypt in uh, the pre-dynastic era, which is basically Egypt you know, before the pyramids and stuff. Mm-hmm. So a long, long time ago. Yep, that's what I learned in grade 9 art class. <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan as Bathlazar. Love Michael Clark Duncan. Ooh, okay. uh, always good to see him and stuff. Um, yep. And oh my God, Neil, the soundtrack to that movie. Oh. Is there a lot of uh, is there a lot of saliva on there? What, what, what do they have? <laughs> well, do they unfortunately, have? it's not saliva, but it's everything that you would think. So we got Godsmack, Hell yeah. Pod, okay. Drowning Pool, Limpus Creed, oh. uh, <laughs> Rob Zombie, uh, Seven Dust. Oh uh, my God. <laughs> Uh, System of Down and Ooh, okay, uh, that's good. System of Down's good. Um, yeah, and Nickelback, of course. Of course, I, I love that soundtrack, man. Anytime I see a movie soundtrack like that, it's like, yeah, this screams 2002. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most 2002 soundtrack I have ever seen in my life. Not wrong. Yep, that's totally true. But yeah, that's all I got for the uh, for the the movie. Let's jump into the game. Sure. So released on September 11, 2002, the one year anniversary, what? Mike. What are you thinking? Like who who said who said this is a good idea? Who who approved that? Also, not it's not even a normal day to release games. Uh, games at that time were often released on Tuesdays. Okay. Uh, September eleventh, oh two was a Wednesday. Oh. Like like they went was... out of their way to release it. Did did it align up with maybe the when did the movie come out? April two thousand two is when the movie came out. Oh. Yeah, they could have waited one day. And put it up the next yeah. day. It would have been totally fine. Or the day before. Yeah, that was a weird, weird call. Horrible timing on that. Not Even if it was a great game, I don't think that's a good... Not a good day to release a game, especially one year after the events of 9-11. But let's just no. jump into the game itself and not just the release date, because obviously <laughs> that's bad enough. But then you start this game, and uh, this is possibly the worst-looking GameCube game I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it's the worst, but it's definitely bad. Uh, can I say the, the tutorial level is just you taking um, like stone vases and throwing them, mm-hmm. like it, which is, I mean, reminds me of Link, yeah, <laughs> and like Zelda. an ocarina. Yep. But uh, uh, it, like that's all it is. And 
oh my god, the combat and like the running and like just the general mechanics the, the, of this the game. Fi- the jumping physics, if, that's, if you <laughs> want to call it that. Do? Just for some reason you can jump 12 feet forward slowly, even though you're a 300 pound bodybuilder. <laughs> it's so weird. I don't understand that one. I don't all. know how much we can talk about this game because obviously we've never played it. We never rented it. We've only watched gameplay on YouTube. So t- please take what we're saying with a grain of salt. This Some people may have fantastic memories with this game, but just... Technically, this game makes no sense. Like, character models pass through environments, and like Mike said, the combat is slow and it chugs. And if you get surrounded by multiple enemies at once, you just, you're dead. Like, it's, there's no way to get out of anything. And the cutscenes are, look worse than the actual game somehow. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> like, there, there's frame rate dips in a cutscene, which is weird. <laughs> and the campaign itself is only six hours long, which is fairly standard actually for a movie tie-in game yeah, uh, yeah you're yeah. usually not that long so luckily if you didn't like the game which most people didn't uh it's very short so and uh uh dwayne johnson does play himself yes uh in in it and voice acts which is always nice to see mm-hmm. but uh yeah i do want to say one thing about this game uh one actually really positive thing and it's not about the game at all it's about the game boy advanced version of this game oh, okay. Neil, have you heard about this uh i mean no actually i have not so the Scorpion King for GBA is a platformer, and it's actually really, really good. Neil, I think you'd like this a lot if you if you ever uh, watch some footage of it. Probably. It, uh, it gets eights or nines in reviews, and is it's actually a sequel to Scorpion King rather than a prequel. Okay, yeah, it's called the Scorpion King Sword of uh, Osiris, which... Yes. Yeah, it's a sword-fighting 2D beat-em-up action platformer, which there were a lot of these on the Game Boy Advance, so I'm not too surprised that I missed it. I played a game specifically on Game Boy Advance called Lady Sia. I think I'm saying that right, which looks kind of similar to this. And it, yeah, it's like a 2D Zelda action game, um, which were mm. fairly plentiful on the Game Boy Advance, and they were all great um, for the most yeah. part. Like a lot of them, yeah. I'm not going to say all of them, but yeah, this was a very popular genre on the Game Boy Advance, so I might have to check this one out. I, I doubt it's that expensive. No, yeah, I was just, it was, you know, usually you see the GBA version, it's usually like way worse. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, this game is already terrible. So like, you know, it it can't be worse, right? And obviously it's uh, really good. So yeah, something to check out. Mm. Yeah, I love Game Boy Advance tie-ins to movie tie-ins are special because they're they're all made by different developers as who make the GameCube and the PS2 versions. And they're usually completely different stories altogether, Um, like 3D action adventure games such as Rise of Akkadian is made into the Sword of Osiris, and it ends up being great. Uh, yeah. Almost every single movie tying game also had a Game Boy Advance game, and those should not have gone overlooked. I played a bunch of them back in the day. Like, the Nightmare Before Christmas Game Boy Advance game is so good. It's like Castlevania. Yeah, I think, actually, it's kind of the reverse here. You know, usually Game Boy Advance games... Uh... Uh, like the ports, the Game Boy Advance ports of games for the GameCube and other systems are are usually pretty bad. Um, but when it's mm-hmm. the movie tie-ins, a lot of them are actually better yeah. than the uh, console version. And I think that's just because they kind of go back to basics. You know what what makes these games fun? Just some simplicity, really. Yeah, and they take they take major inspiration from the NES and SNES classic games like yes. Mario, Ducktales, Mega Man. Castlevania, like I said, and they just copy that format basically, yeah, which which is you, fine. You cannot go wrong. I'm like I, I say many times, if there was a game that came out every year that was like Pikmin, I would play it. If there was a game that came out every year like Shadow of the Colossus, I would play it. So I'm okay with the same thing coming out over and over again sometimes. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I've agreed. I just want to say one quick thing about this game before we move on. Dwayne Johnson has a quote uh, when he was advertising for this game in an interview. <laughs> I just want to quote him real quick. This game is awesome. This game is electrifying. This game is kicking ass and taking names. Just going to leave it there. Take your names. 
Next game on our list, we have Blood Rain, which was released on October 15th, 2002. Uh, this game was developed by Terminal Reality and published by Majesco Interactive. It's on PC, PS2, Xbox, Xbox 360, and Mac. Rates 3 out of 5. Uh, it's rated M. We don't get a lot of those on GameCube. And mm -hmm. it gets about a 73 on Metacritic. And if you wanted to pick it up today, it is $25. And it's an action vampire game, which not we do not see a ton of those really ever. No, it's it's actually a, a pretty decent game. It has spawned an entire franchise, really. Mm -hmm. And so this, we're kind of cheating here, but Blood Rain, the game came before the movie. So we're going to switch it up here. Ooh. And uh, this is actually one uh, an early kind of movie adaptation of, uh, of a game. Hmm. Um, and we, we felt like we had to put it here because the movie is just so hilarious that you can't not talk about it. Yep. But uh, let's start with the game. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the main character, Rain, that's where the blood rain kind of comes uh -huh. in, R-A-Y-N-E. A bit, a bit like Dark and Sky. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just a fun fact, she is voiced by Laura Bailey. And uh, you may know her most recently as Abby mm -hmm. from Last of Us Part 2. Yes. Uh, but she has voiced literally hundreds, if not thousands of characters. Yep. As well, she's right now a cast member on Critical Role. Mm -hmm. And so so she's in a lot of things. I'm just going to list a couple of her stuff, uh, of her characters sure. uh, right here. Chun-Li, uh, mm -hmm. Blaze the Cat, Lucina. Uh, Nadine in Uncharted, mm -hmm. uh, Catwoman in Batman, Supergirl in Injustice, MJ in the new Spider-Mans, Black Widow in other Marvel games, and mm -hmm. yeah, many, many more. Yeah, she's kind of like the Troy Baker or Nolan North of the, you know, she's the female version of them. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, just in so many games. I, I really liked her in The uh, Last of Us Part Two. I thought she did a great job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, watching gameplay of this game, it's uh, it reminds me of Bayonetta. A little bit yes that is the that that was the first thing that came to mind when i when i watched this game yeah you've got instead of bayonetta is of course a witch who wields you know swords guns she uses her hair as a weapon and she's very acrobatic and this is a, a game about a vampire who's very similar um very acrobatic she has swords i don't does she have guns i can't remember now she does have shooting yeah she's got guns in the game and she's uh sucking the blood out of nazis in 1933 <laughs> it, it looks like Eternal Darkness mixed with Bayonetta. Yeah, that's a good. That's that a good, is the yeah. best way I can describe it. Um, a lot of a uh, lot of cleavage, also <laughs> like Bayonetta. Uh, yeah, yeah, like Bayonetta. Yeah, it. it uh, I I noticed that like right away. I was like, damn. Mm -hmm. It definitely looks like a decent game. I don't have a ton to say for it. It did actually get re-released recently as Blood Rain Terminal Cut for the PC, okay. uh, just in November. So oh. super recently. Wow. Yeah, and like you said, it spawned an entire franchise. There's sequels. Unfortunately, none of those sequels were on GameCube. It went over to just PS2, Xbox, and then, like you said, PC. So mm -hmm. this is the only one on Nintendo. But it's like how I said right up front, it's neat to see a, an M-rated game on GameCube. But we like to point those out because, of course, the GameCube was trying to appeal to that older audience. Yep. Uh, did you ever see the movie that they made out of this, Mike? Oh, well, I've never seen it, but I know... I know a lot about it. It's it's kind of in that driven world of being one of the worst movies ever made uh, and also one of the worst box office uh, bombs too. So, yeah, let's let's get on let's get in on that. Let's get on some movie facts. Um, so Blood Rain, uh, the the adaptation of the game comes out in 2005 and where to begin? Um, <laughs> as we know video games are adaptations are usually pretty terrible. Obviously this is no different. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's different about this, though, is the decent budget it had and uh, a star-studded cast. Uh, just to name a few here, we have Billy Zane, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, famously from Fast and Furious. Right. Um, Meatloaf, <gasps> the Meatloaf, what? is, in this, <laughs> is in this movie. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense for him. I know, it's right? Brand. 
And uh, and last but not least, Sir Ben Kingsley. What <laughs> is uh, is in this movie? So it's That's a good it's cast. Got a, it's got a great cast. Wow. But it's just a mess of a movie. It it, it only grossed three point seven million dollars. Whoa. Um, which is just obscene. Like, did did no one know about this? Was there no marketing? I don't I don't remember the movie. <laughs> Sorry, when did you say it came out? Two thousand five. Okay, so two thousand five. We were in like grade. What what was the movie rated? Does it say? Was it like an R film or was it? Yeah, it was an R film. That's see, that's where they went wrong. You got to make these types of things because kids are playing for the video game. You got to make that PG thirteen. As an adult, yep. I hate it when they make a, a horror film PG thirteen now because I know it's not going to be scary at that point. But you would have got you would have made you would have made way more money. Things are a little bit different now because like like a movie like Deadpool comes out in two thousand sixteen, it makes like a billion dollars. But people were sneaking into that film who shouldn't have been seeing it. <laughs> yeah, so that's probably why. I mean, if you release an R rated film, traditionally yeah. horror films do not make a ton of money. So, yeah, four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, <sighs> which is. One of the lowest I've ever seen on 18% on Metacritic. I kind of want to watch it now, though. I, I know. I, I, I want to make like a night of it to watch this terrible movie. <laughs> we should. Yeah. So some fun facts time here. Screenwriter Gwenevieve Turner, she turned in the first draft two weeks late. And uh, rather than asking for redrafts, uh, the director accepted it. And then he made uh, a lot of his own changes and just told the actors to take a crack at it. Oh, my God. So a lot of it was apparently improvised, which you should not do in a horror movie. No, that's for comedies. Uh, Yeah. And so the actors obviously immediately denounced this film. Uh, Laura Bailey called it the one of the worst things she's ever seen. And she couldn't even get through the first 20 minutes of it. Oh, man, that's too bad. But her game did well, at least. It sounds like that the game is far more <laughs> well-received. So it's better to be on the right side of, of the, the tracks, I suppose. Exactly, exactly. And one cool thing, one positive thing about this movie, mm-hmm. it was filmed in Transylvania. Oh, good. Which is that never pretty happens. awesome. That never happens no. with vampire films. <laughs> yeah, on location. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, we're very historical, historically accurate. I miss, I miss the vampire genre. I mean, like, they kind of drove it into the ground with twilight but i mean like in the, the mid- put a stake in it put almost. a st- ah very good very good but in the 2000s like we had i guess we had blood rain as well but we also had i loved van helsing i don't know if you've seen that one with uh van helsing and underworld yep. and you know a lot of those kind of movies mm-hmm. yeah it, there's definitely a time and place for those um yeah and i'm sure they'll come back again all right mike let's move on from vampires now onto a completely different topic top gun combat zones Highway to the danger zone. Yeah, why is there a Top Gun game? <laughs> well, why not? I mean, it's a flight sim, so it makes sense to me. This isn't the first Top Gun game, but it was released. What's more interesting to me is it was released on December 26th, 2002. Oh, another terrible release date. Not quite as offensive as November, uh, September 11th, <laughs> but still bad. Uh, developer uh, Digital Integration, published by Titus Software. I'm going to talk about them in a second. They also released this game on PS2, Game Boy Advance, and Windows. It gets a 2 out of 5, according to the GameCube Anthology. 59 on Metacritic. Priced today at about 8 bucks if you want to pick it up. Uh, <laughs> this is a flight sim game. So what that means is it basically means you're flying a plane and it's as about as it's about as realistic as it can get without you actually being in a cockpit, quote unquote. Mike, this is the only flight sim game on GameCube. Did you know that? I was about to say that. Yes. Yeah. It is the only flight sim game on GameCube. Uh, um, and I think that's mostly because that genre and that audience had moved over exclusively to PC at this point. Yeah. And so there was really no point to uh, to have these games on GameCube or other platforms but i personally would actually love to pick up pick up this game because i i have a soft spot for flight sims i do too i want to talk about that too more so than top gun (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, flight sims are probably the genre that I've played not the least of, but the least of that I would love to play more of, if that makes any yes, sense. Yes, I, I 100% agree. Friend of the show, Marty Thompson, is actually a pretty big uh, flight sim guy. He loves Microsoft Flight Simulator 98. Ace Combat's another one. Yes, so... so I mean, yeah, I would agree with you. I would love to play more of this of this genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a really cool idea of a game. It's just we're going to put you in a plane. You're going to fly around, you know, fly through some rings if that's your thing. And then you have to land it as well. See some some cool mountains and oceans. For for someone like me who's never – I'm never going to fly a plane. I'll fly in planes, but I'll never be in the cockpit. It's just such a cool idea for a video game. And, yeah. And they release flight sims every year, multiple versions, I think, of them. And they all sell very well. But, and there's a huge community. Yes. Huge, huge, huge. Yeah, people make their gaming PCs with three or four monitors. So you have that that cockpit-like view. They have actual flight sticks and everything. So it's yep. like you're in a cockpit. And I think that a lot of pilots actually go through these games a lot too when they're training to become pilots, yep. right? Yeah. So it's almost like we were talking about with Monkey Ball, uh, how certain you know surgeons will use Monkey Ball as a way to warm up. Uh, pilots might use... Uh, Probably not Top Gun, but they might use Ace Combat <laughs> or something to uh, to warm up a little bit. But yeah, very underrated genre that I think I think Nintendo could use one. I know that they had uh, Pilot Wings on uh, Super mm-hmm. NES. They had it on N64 and then 3DS. I think they had a, a version of it. I would love if Nintendo just went with it and kept making a flight sim game for their consoles because I think it is important for your console to have at least one, even though most players will pick it up on PC. It's just a nice to have, you know? Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. But speaking of Top Gun... The movie yep. released in 1986, uh, Tony Scott, uh, brother of Ridley Scott, mm-hmm. uh, Tony Scott classic, and um, starring obviously Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. And a new movie is coming out next year, which is mind blowing to me. When is that movie coming out? I have seen that trailer, no joke, <laughs> ten times in theaters. <laughs> well, it was supposed to come out this year, but uh, oh, that's yeah, why. Um, but okay. yeah, it's uh, people love nostalgia, I guess. I, I'm not sure what they're gonna do with it. Because uh, the whole point of it was like about the uh, the the Cold War mm-hmm. um, and flying, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I'd watch it, I guess. Did you like Top Gun one, like Top Gun the first one? So uh, it's a good movie. Uh, that's not that's not a confident yes. <laughs> well, it, it 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 symbolizes the '80s the most any movie can do, and if you love the '80s, you love Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and for Neil and I, we love Top Gun because we saw it when we were watching a a show. At uh, uh, the Hard Luck, yeah, was that where yeah, we were? I can, I remember. <laughs> and this. Top Gun was on. Yes, we were. Mike and I were at a show. We were watching. We were there to see Spanish Love Songs, who I have been in their music video we mentioned, and the opening act, the the Drew Thompson Foundation was on. And to the left of the stage, there's the bar, and then there's two TVs, as most bars have, and Top Gun was playing. And while he was playing, you could see him watching the movie. And in between songs, he was talking about Top Gun, like just saying, like I'm very yeah. distracted right now watching Tom Cruise play volleyball <laughs> yeah the volleyball scene was on when he was playing was. i was like oh yeah it's like you gotta watch the volleyball you got scene. It. the volleyball scene is probably the only part i don't like top gun personally but uh, the volleyball scene is so iconic because of course it features kenny loggins <laughs> hit song playing with the boys and <laughs> and uh the rest of the movie though i just found it just very boring for me see for you i feel like top gun has to be your all-time favorite movie because kenny loggins does the soundtrack the soundtrack yes and but it's just like tarzan like phil collins made the soundtrack i still love tarzan though but uh no you're <laughs> right i should love top gun more but i i love kenny loggins the people might not know that i i actually adore kenny loggins i've seen him live in concert a few years ago um danger zone playing with the boys at first i liked him ironically just to be a, this is a joke. <laughs> and then I started to listen to more and more of his discography. And I was like, man, this guy's got some tunes. 
it's like it's like Jimmy Buffett, you know. It's yeah. like you, you you just know Margaritaville, and then you actually go deeper in, and it's like, oh wow, this guy's actually like an artist. This guy's got some hits. Yeah, he's got some bangers. But I should like Top Gun more. You're totally right. But uh, we've got that ride at Canada's Wonderland, which I've been on a bunch. That ride gives me nausea. Um, so that's like the only thing I always associated with Top Gun was at Canada's Wonderland near Toronto. Yeah, there is a ride. It's no longer called Top Gun. It, 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 Wonderland used to be owned by Paramount. So there was a ride called Top Gun, and that ride sucked. So yeah, it was easier when you're a kid and you can take head trauma without feeling dizzy. <laughs> but, now, but now as an adult, like if you if you go on, it's now called Flight Deck. If you go on that roller coaster, you're gonna need to take a week off work because like. <laughs> It feels like you're hungover. It does. <laughs> it does. I, yeah, and it's getting older too. I think that's a ride from the '80s. So um, yes, yeah. I think it was made when Top Gun came out. So. Yes, but no, I don't like the original Top Gun. I'd appreciate it if the new one would just come out already because I see it before every single film I see, and it's getting <laughs> quite annoying. Obviously, we're going to see Tom Cruise topless playing volleyball or something in that film, and I look forward to that. But uh, I just wanted to say this game was published by Titus. Mike, did you know that Titus developed and published Superman '64? Oh my goodness! Yeah. I do not. Yeah. Wow. So uh, Mike obviously hates the N sixty four, so he's never played it. But uh, Superman sixty four is one of the worst games ever made, according to Metacritic and every YouTuber you'll yeah. ever see. Um, I think you might have played it at my place, Mike, because I own it. Just I actually have played a Superman sixty four, and I had. I remember in first year university, I oh. had the, um, I had the the controversial opinion of saying Superman 64 was not as bad as people make it out to be, I, which I still believe. I think I might agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because there, I, I can, I can think of worse games. I, I can too. Because if you go into Superman sixty four knowing it's a broken game, the fun of Superman sixty four is making fun of the fact that it's broken, and you can still have fun trying to beat the levels because the levels have to be beatable in some way. Exactly. So the fun is playing the game broken. But there are some games that are not broken that are not fun to play, which, in my opinion, are worse. <laughs> exactly. I, I hundred percent agreed. But Top Gun's not as bad as Superman sixty four. It's just a little bit. It's just a little bit unpolished. It's underwhelming. It's underwhelming, yeah. There's not much there's not much behind it. Tom Cruise is not in it at all. They didn't use his likeness or his voice. So The GameCube version is actually an enhanced port of the PS2 version. There you go. So okay. the GameCube version is the way to play it. Cool. Uh, there's also a second version of this game that exists and was released in 04. Hmm. Um, I don't know what the differences are, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it's too bad because it feels like it could have been a better game because, like we said, flight sims are pretty cool to us. Mm. But... Uh, they didn't really use much of the Top Gun material at all. Nope. Uh, no Kenny which Loggins. feels like a big missed opportunity. Yeah, no Kenny Loggins. Yeah. But yeah, that's probably about all we have to say about that game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on to the next game, which I think, Mike, we're going to get a little bit heated on this uh, this next game. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move on yeah, to... I think it's time to get heated. Yeah, okay, let's get heated. Get steamed, everybody. Die Hard, <laughs> Die Hard Vendetta was released on November 19th, 2002, developed by Bits Studios, published by Sierra Entertainment. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. It rates 2 out of 5, 54 on Metacritic, uh, priced at around $20. This is an FPS, also known as a first-person shooter. What's with all these 80s movies? Right? What's Being going a- on? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm sure people have seen the cover of the episode, or like the um, the, the artwork, and it is, uh, you know, Christmas-themed Die Hard. And this is time to debate, Neil. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Your, your thoughts? No, it isn't. Just because it takes place <laughs> at Christmas, it's not a Christmas film. I stand by that. I think uh, 
it's not outwardly a Christmas movie. And I know that like people think Home Alone is also a Christmas movie because it takes place at Christmas. I think that there's a little bit more of an argument that Home Alone is a Christmas film because his family left him behind at Christmas. Home Alone is a Christmas film. It, yeah, I guess so. But Die Hard could also be a Christmas film because it takes place around a Christmas party at the office, which, of course, yeah. Mike, you and I know what it's like to go to an office Christmas party. Um, never ends the same way Die Hard ends, luckily. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, but I I don't know. I, I've just always found... I think people say Die Hard's their favorite Christmas movie just to annoy me, personally. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you especially. But I mean, like, there's obviously forums on the internet to, 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 to remind me every year, hey, gotta watch Die Hard. But uh, no, I like to watch the traditional Christmas films like Jingle All the Way and uh, and The Grinch. But hey, I mean, if you want to watch Die Hard on Christmas, that's totally fine. So these are the reasons I think it's a Christmas movie. I, I, I'm a, I'm a hardliner on this one. Okay. You're a day oneer. <laughs> I'm a day oneer. Um, okay. One, it's about an estranged family where dad is trying to make it home for the holidays on Christmas Eve. Okay. There's a greedy Grinch-like villain. Classic holiday trope. Yes. Um, yes, yes. With Hans Gruber. Mm-hmm. The dialogue is full of ironic Christmas references. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, true. You know, it's uh, Theo, it's the time of miracles. Uh, and uh, yeah. now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I do like the part when he's like crawling through the vents and Bruce Willis is talking to himself. Just like, yeah, come on, stop by, have a few drinks, a few laughs. You know, I like <laughs> yeah. that part. I do like that part. McLean learns the spirit of Christmas, ah, you know, with yeah. his sacrifice. Like Charlie Brown. Exactly. Yeah. It snows, quote unquote, at the wow. end. Wow, that almost that doesn't happen now. I know, right? Global warming. Thank you. <laughs> the soundtrack obviously is stuffed with Christmas music. Yeah. Um, so you know what? I I got I got enough evidence here. That's that's uh that's that's my final answer, Your Honor. <sighs> that's your final answer to uh, Regis Philbin. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you right. make a lot of interesting points there, Mike. And you could be right that Die Hard is a Christmas film. I just don't like. It's kind of like how. Dark and Sky is also a Skittles commercial. I don't like how they just wedged my favorite holiday into a action film. And it's okay if you want to make an action film centered around Christmas, but don't then try and sneak your way into the classic Grinch and Rudolph stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just have, I'm just a Christmas purist, you see. I like to watch my Christmassy Christmas ass films between <laughs> December 1st and December 25th. Hey, you know what? That's fine. And we will have a poll, ladies and gentlemen, another one <laughs> later this week uh, to to talk about uh, Die Hard and see who out, who else out there thinks that Die Hard is the perfect. Christmas. I know I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to win this one because the, Mike, there's seven billion people on the planet, all six hundred ninety nine million and and what are billion and whatever the hell, whatever however numbers work, all six point nine billion of you all listen to the GameCube School podcast. Of course, as our numbers will tell you, we have 7 billion listeners. I'm sure that they all think that Die Hard is a Christmas film, except me. I've never met anybody who said it's not, except myself. So, not that I'm trying to be a hipster, I just think I'm the only one. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. Mike, I blew your mind a few weeks, or maybe it's a few months ago now, about how um, Alan Rickman is in Die Hard, and you didn't know that. Yeah, I for whatever reason, I didn't know that, and I've seen Die Hard at least twice. But, I mean... When I watched the clips back, I was like, okay, I guess, like, I would have, like, not really realized it was him because I just knew him for Snape at the time. Exactly. You know, with his greasy haircut and not as a German uh, terrorist. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you, like you said up front, up top, about how why are there so many 80s movies on, on the GameCube all of a sudden? Uh, a lot of these movies were getting, or at least not a lot of them, but uh, Die, Die Hard specifically was getting sequels into the 2000s. Yep. So Die Hard Vendetta came out or takes place after Die Hard 3, which I have not seen. 
But with Die Hard Vendetta, a bit of a rough game. The environments are very uninspired. It's just a generic first-person shooter. It's got auto-aim in it, which I'm always a little bit confused by, especially on the yep. GameCube. I don't know why auto-aim... Well, I know why it's a thing. It was a thing on the N64 because aiming was so rough that they had to give a little bit of assistance. It makes sense on certain consoles, like on the PSP, auto-aiming was good because the joystick was not great. But on GameCube, I think auto-aim could have been eliminated. It's just annoying, and it makes games feel a little too easy when your uh, your cursor or your reticle, your aiming reticle, just sticks to enemies. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that. I mean, I, I do like the fact that you actually get to play as John McClane. Mm-hmm. They, didn't, they didn't mess that one up. Good. <laughs> this game does feel fun in ways, I guess. Uh, it's at least grounded in the movies, mm-hmm. and... You know, again, that's better than most of these games so far. There's a lot of puzzle elements, especially when you're trying to release hostages, which I thought was Interesting. cool in a first-person shooter. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I would say it probably has the most intricate gameplay. Um, there's even N- NPCs to talk to, and like the story revolves around uh, Piet Gruber, the son of uh, the main villain uh, from the first movie, Hans, Hans Gruber. Gruber. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it just i think just the the actual gameplay like the mechanics themselves you know like we always say terrible controls uh, a super unpolished game mm-hmm. uh which is unfortunate yeah i think i have enough to i think that's enough about die hard vendetta what do you think i think so let's move on to the next game okay let's move on to rocky which was released on november 17th 2002 uh rocky was developed by steel monkeys published by ubisoft it's also on ps2 xbox and game boy advance this game rates 4 out of 5, or 74 on Metacritic, so it's the best game we're talking about today. Um, priced at about $40 today, it's of course a date sim. Sorry, boxing game. <laughs> <laughs> it actually looks decent, but let's yeah. talk about the movie very quickly, yes. first of all. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but Rocky was a huge sleeper hit. Yeah, it won an Oscar. It won the Best best Picture. One Best Picture had a budget of a million dollars. Uh, and earned $225 million worldwide. Wow. Uh, obviously, really kind of entrenched uh, Sylvester Stallone as a, an actual actor mm-hmm. and uh, and someone who was in Rocky Films 8 now, uh, has appeared in eight Rocky Films or spinoffs. Um, and honestly, it's probably one of the greatest sports movies ever made. I mean, it's spawned, obviously, like I just said, all those different movies, mm-hmm. and it's kind of reinvented the boxing movie itself. And... Uh, you know, the Rocky Steps are obviously famous. Uh, I have been to the Rocky Steps in Philly. Yeah. I was uh, lucky enough to go there. That's right. And I did my little, you know, put my arms up. <laughs> <laughs> Is it hard running up those steps? It looked hard in the movie. Uh, I, I was, yeah, it was really hot out that day. Oh, so. good. Yeah. He, he does the steps in the middle of like December. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, let me talk. I can talk a little bit about oh. Rocky too, actually. Oh, yeah. I, I love Rocky personally. Um, My dad got me into the Rocky films. That's kind of his favorite movie franchise. And then when Creed came out back in 2015, I think it was, uh, we went to go see it in theaters and my dad never goes to the theaters. Um, So that's kind of like every time a Creed movie comes out, we go see it together, which is a nice little tradition that we have going now. I don't know how far nice. the Creed films are going to go. Uh, it feels like that they're kind of running out of steam after two. <laughs> we've seen the, the, the we've seen two in theaters though together, and it, it's been a nice little tradition that we do. But yeah, um, mm-hmm. I love Sylvester Stallone not as an actor per se. I just think that he's very passionate about everything he does, and I respect that in a person. Like he very fair. he, it seems like in every movie that he's in, he wants to be there. Even in Spy Kids 3D, he looked like he wanted to be there. <laughs> no one else did, but he did. Right. He looked like the most enthusiastic actor in that film. And like he's in he's in Rocky. He did the Rambo films. 
and he's been in a bunch of weird little small movies like Driven. And and then he shows up and he does the voice acting in his own video games. He does the marketing for them. He's in his seventies now, like he's he's getting up there. But he's and he's a very adv- he's a very big advocate for fitness and health. So he's just an all around like he seems like a pretty decent guy. I'm sure that he's got his issues, you know, like everybody else does. But I've only seen up to Rocky Four is the one he fights Ivan Drago, right? Yeah, five and six are really bad. Yeah, those ones kind of are a bit shaky. I don't even know if my dad never even talks to me about those. We've seen the first four <laughs> Rocky films, and then we've seen Creed one and two, and that's kind of where we end it. But yeah. uh, they're they're fun movies to watch. I'm sure every it feels like everybody's dad probably likes the Rocky films. It's kind of <laughs> like how everybody's dad probably listens to Super Tramp. But uh, I think it's just fun to watch the uh, the montage scenes. I love those parts when they're just yes. training in the mountain or in a in a shed somewhere. Those are the best parts. I love those scenes, but. Just to see some sweaty dudes lifting weights, I guess that's what people want to see. That's what people want to see. Yeah, but going back to the video game, I just want to quickly give a shout out to Steel Monkeys, who developed the game. Um, they were founded in 1998 by uh, Timothy Dofskin and Derek McLennan in the United Kingdom. So we got a British developer here making the game. Uh, nice. They developed games for PC, PS2, Xbox, and uh, just the one game on GameCube, I believe, which was Rocky. Uh, they also developed a hit game known as Bob the Builder, Can We Fix It? Yes, we can. <laughs> Yes, we can. They didn't develop much else of any note as far as I know. It's mostly PC stuff, so it might be bigger than I think, but who knows. But uh, no, the Rocky video game here uh, follows the first five Rocky films. Yes. Interesting fact about the game, or not the game cube version, but just the game in general, is that in PAL markets, so in Europe where the game was developed, uh, you could pick up the PS2 or the Xbox version of the game along with uh, the original Rocky DVD. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you don't see that. I, me- I think I remember that, seeing games. T- uh, maybe that's why there's so many movie tie-in games when you go to a video game store. <laughs> I remember buying a movie and seeing the video game attached to it in plastic wrap <laughs> in like the Walmart discount bin or something. Yeah. I, I also actually remember that just like thinking back now. Uh, it's yeah. such a weird time. I know, just like to see a little box with the game on PS2 and the movie. But uh, there was then a sequel released on Xbox and PS2 called Rocky Legends, but that was not for the GameCube, unfortunately. But uh, no, the game itself is pretty jam-packed. You have 20 opponents to fight, including Old Age, which Sylvester Stallone is now fighting. (laughs) Uh, There's the theme song included in the soundtrack, of course, very iconic movie theme. theme song uh, from the 80s Mm -hmm. and then uh there's 30 characters in two-player co-op so for a fighting game this game's got pretty much everything you need it's got a campaign going through all five movies and a decent co-op offering yeah no it's uh i mean it looks pretty good the cutscenes actually look really nice for a 2002 game i I think this is a game that i wouldn't mind playing although i'm not a huge boxing fan uh no. for, for movie for games i should say i like boxing but I, I i don't like boxing games because they're pretty boring <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there's only so much you can do no that's fine let's move on to the next movie game here we got to minority report everybody runs was released on november 19th 2002 so the same day as Die Hard vendetta we had a little just a big little boost of movie tie-in games that week. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was developed by Treyarch, published by Activision. So that's the Spider-Man team. Uh, it's also on PS2, Xbox, and Game Boy Advance. It rates 2 out of 5. Uh, it's priced at about $9, and it is an action game. Now, Minority Report is a Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg film from 2002, based on the 1956 short novel by Philip K. Dick, The Minority Report. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this is actually a really good movie. <laughs> I, and I, I love I love Minor, Minority Report. I'm a huge fan. And it's such a cool kind of concept as well. 
Um, mm. Yeah, with Tom Cruise, he's a police captain in the future. Thing called precogs, which are these human mutants who are able to see into the future. Then they basically say what's going to happen, and they stop the crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes one of the precogs has an alternate vision of the future, i.e., a minority report. Um, and yeah, that the concept of precrime is actually something that kind of is happening today. I was going to say predicting yeah. crimes and and mm-hmm. using machine learning to to uh, to help figure out when things are going to happen. Yeah, I, I minority minority report is one of these books and movies that I remembered thinking at the time I really want to see that, and I just forgot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really want to see Minority Report. I'm reminded again, and I'm sure I'll forget again. But no, it's a really cool concept. And you're right. Like just the way that we can now search people's computers and search histories and see what they're working on on their computer. You can kind of catch crimes now ahead of time. Now, mm-hmm. Minority Report is based more on their genetic DNA, right? Isn't that how they catch people in that movie? Yeah, it's the eyes. It's everything's to do with the eyes. So Okay, have, got it. Every time you go anywhere, your, your eyes are scanned. Oh, okay. Yeah, and obviously it's like the, the people who see the future like, they mm-hmm. they like a, a ball comes down and it says like the name of the person who's going to be killed oh um, okay gotcha but uh yeah i watched this movie actually this week uh to prepare mm. for this podcast and <laughs> it holds up mm. uh, a lot of uh a lot of the set choices are like super key i gotta say because it it doesn't make it look outdated like very random yeah. but the costumes are are terrific because they're just these simple bland clothes that like anyone would wear like at any time so most of these like futuristic movies are immediately dated like the next year they come out <laughs> yes <laughs> because like it's just this this weird costume choice and automatically you're like whoa what is that like no one would wear that <laughs> no like, yeah, i, I think like back to the future you know kind of about like, to say that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and yeah and it's honestly i think a movie that gets better with age and i would have never guessed that spielberg directed it i didn't know that until this week because it yeah. doesn't feel like a steven spielberg movie it's it's much grittier, much less predictable. Yeah. And uh, John Williams coming through, as always, with an awesome score. Sweet. And he, he kind of goes all classical. No futuristic new metal, which could have honestly like. But that's something that they totally would have done at this time. You know, Yeah, because futuristic films were so heavily based on something like Blade Runner. Um, I'm trying to think of something else. Even Terminator, to a yeah. certain degree, had some weird techno in the future music to it. Yeah, I think that, that that is the best way uh, to make a futuristic film is just to think about what people are doing now and just make the phones look a little better. And you're probably going to be right. <laughs> yeah, I got to give them a lot of credit for that. But unfortunately, I cannot give a lot of credit to the game because how do you make a game out of this? I know. it's. <laughs> I mean, you'd make uh, – in my mind, you'd make a first-person shooter game where it's a it's an eight- to nine-hour campaign where – your the police officers are after you and you're trying to cover up or try to correct your name i suppose mm-hmm. so almost like a james bond game but a little bit less of a, a different plot um would be my idea you know driving levels and going to the mountain levels and then hiding out in the jungle level i don't know i'm just thinking <laughs> of a james bond game where yeah. you're the enemy basically like that would be actually an interesting james bond game would be where you play as the bad guy but uh yeah that's kind of how i pictured it being um gotta say i gave some props to uh I almost said Rocky Balboa. Uh, so I got to give some props to Sylvester Stallone about how, you know, how he he's in all of his games. He seems to be giving his all with everything. Tom Cruise, got to say the opposite. Yeah, two, two Tom Cruise games. Now I just realized that. Two Tom Cruise games, just like Sylvester Stallone. And Tom Cruise likeness is not in either of them. No. He didn't show up for either. And I doubt that he really promoted these games at all. Uh, and... I don't really, I don't like Tom Cruise as an actor. I liked him in Rain Man. I think that's pretty much it. See, my thing, my thing with Tom Cruise is that he's very good when he's not the focal point. Yes, like Rain Man. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. Uh, there's quite a few other movies like Magnolia. And even in this one, honestly, he, he is the focal point, but he plays a very subdued character and you don't really, um, he doesn't overact. So he's actually pretty good in this movie. And am I crazy or is he in Tropic Thunder? He is in Tropic Thunder and he's really yeah. good in that. Yes, as, that as was the him. boss. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if that was him or the guy from Iron Man 2. I yep. remember his name now. But uh, yeah, like whenever he's, you're right. Whenever he's the side guy, he seems to be great. And yeah. again, Tom Cruise, I'm sure you're listening. But <laughs> your movies, they just don't resonate with me, man. And I'd like to see you in video games. I want to see you in the video game if you're going to be going into a video game. Stop making Mission Impossible films. I'm not watching them anymore. <laughs> but do you know who is in this game, though, is the likeness of and voice of Clancy Brown. Oh. And you may know Clancy Brown as he's a pretty prolific actor slash voice actor and probably obviously best known for voicing mr krabs yes that's uh, oh and his likeness is in it yeah his likeness is in it too yeah that's crazy because most people don't know what he looks like they just no. know him for his voice <laughs> uh, he's also the voice of neo cortex from crash and tons of tons of people for, in the dc universe wow see voice acting is so is is an interesting uh profession because you can be in so many things you're basically a celebrity to people but no one knows what you look like exactly and i love that i love that yeah it's like an undercover millionaire. Like yeah. it's just a, it's a great idea for, or not an idea, for, but it's just a great profession to get into if, if you, if you're lucky <laughs> enough to yeah, get into something like SpongeBob. But yeah, Minority Report is, is a pretty standard beat em up game. Uh, the tagline, everybody runs like that is basically the tagline of the movie itself. Tom Cruise says mm-hmm. it like 10 times. Um, Maxim did a review for this game for whatever reason. Oh, uh, unfortunately okay. not Playboy, but Maxim did one. Okay, uh, good enough. Gave it six out of 10 uh so Not that's bad. basically what most people have been giving it yeah i i don't know what to say about this it's just a like like we said up front in the at the beginning of the episode every movie had a video game <laughs> to it for no reason yeah this is one that i'll always like bring up when people talk about movie times i'm like did you know minority report had a movie tie-in and they're like what can we talk about can we talk about the next movie that had a video game tie-in and oh baby last game of the episode ladies and gentlemen is reign of fire was released on November 22nd, 2002. All these games came out within like four days of each other, dude. I don't know if you've been paying attention. But... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Was developed by Kuju Entertainment, published by BAM, also on PS2 and Xbox. It rates 2 out of 5 or a 54 on Metacritic. If you wanted to pick it up today, it's about $18. This would be considered an action game, and it's based on the plot uh, as the 2002 movie reign of fire starring christian bale and matthew mcconaughey which i didn't i don't remember this movie at all <laughs> you and everyone else so obviously let's let's jump into this movie how did how did this movie sneak in under the radar sorry to cut you off but just like in 2002 we're at about the height of the lord of the rings popularity mm-hmm. with dragons and and folklore and and whatnot and this is kind of combining that into modern day it takes place in england right in the uk I don't movie know. <laughs> okay well I've never seen it, but oh, oh um, the movie. Oh, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. The movie's in uh, in England. In England, so yeah, they're there, and it's modern day, and there's dragons. It would have been I, this would have been right up nine year old Neil or yeah nine year old Neil's alley would have loved this movie, and I didn't. I've never seen it. This so. is such an awesome concept because the I idea of the, of the movie is that the dra- dragons have taken over the world basically. And, I take back um, what I said. Twenty year, twenty seven year old Neil <laughs> would want to see this movie, <laughs> and and humankind is almost extinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's honestly Lord of the Rings meets like I Am Legend military stuff, like yeah, Pacific uh, Rim. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's pretty cool to be honest, but the movie is just an awful, awful train wreck. Uh, it was a huge box office bomb. Uh, sixty million on eighty million dollar budget. It had a yeah. great cast, obviously, with Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey starring. 
And Christian Bale had done American Psycho at this point, right? Yes, he had. Yeah, he yeah. He hadn't done Batman yet, though, I guess. No. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, he was a well-known actor at this point. Oh, yeah. And, and number one, I think your problem here is that you release it in 2002 alongside The Two Towers. You got to wait, man. You cannot release a fantasy movie when Lord of the Rings is coming out because true. no one is going to watch this. That's and true. they didn't. No. I, I encourage everyone out there to watch a trailer of this movie. And it's the most, like, 2000s. Yes. trailer I've ever seen in my life. They even have the 2000s movie trailer voice guy. Doing yeah, it, exactly. I miss him. I don't care what <laughs> you later. say. I will stand. I, I might back down on the Die Hard uh, argument, but I'm never going to back down that that movie trailer voice guy needs to do every single film ever made always. In a world where dragons have taken over the world. <laughs> this summer in a summer movie. Like just any, it doesn't matter if it's stupid. Um, but yeah. The game may have actually been made specifically for the movie, um, and that said, it does not do it any favors at all. Like just with the movie, it's it's got nice visuals sometimes, but the plot is just awful. Yeah, and it's it's not an enjoyable experience whatsoever. Yep. Uh, I forget what you said for the like one out of five. Was it Neil? Two out of five. Two out of five. Two out of five. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's. I'd give it one out of five. I mean, yeah, that, that just means that the game is, in fact, in the case. I think it gets a one, which is what the Scorpion King got. That was the lowest rated one according <laughs> to the GameCube anthology. It means, yes, they did, in fact, print a game, and there's <laughs> graphics on the screen. It gets a one. But, no, yeah, I, I was looking at gameplay of this one, and it just looks like a very basic action game. Um, I, it's always frustrating for me when you're, you're playing this game, and there's poorly designed dragons and explosion exploding effects on screen and there's arrows pointing everywhere on where to go <laughs> where your where your objective is where the enemies like everything's got to be pointed out because i guess you couldn't tell what dragons were in the game because it just looks so bad <laughs> well that's another thing with the movie uh is that the dragons look so awful in the mm -hmm. movie yeah this movie i'm just gonna go back even this video game should have been cool to me like i i should have loved the sight of just the cover with there's dragons you're fighting in military vehicles and there's tanks and there's ak-47 guns to fight them with yeah man. but um i just never ran across it in eb games i suppose and there was i don't remember any marketing towards this game or the movie in 2002 no and and i like to think that i know a, quite a few movies and i had never heard of this movie before so that gives you a, a, a some semblance of we should add this to our list of movies we need to watch because of this episode. <laughs> I was thinking instead of just kind of railing on this game and saying it's bad and the movie's bad and everything sucks, but I just kind of I needed to, I needed to think about what uh, just for a change what would have made this game good or if they were to try it again, which they won't, but if they were to try it again, what would make it good? Just to be a little bit creative, I, I thought yeah. like it would be kind of cool to make it. I hate saying this, but making it almost like what's the battle royale game where it's everybody against one player, kind of like Evolve. Do you remember that game or Friday the Thirteenth? Okay, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, where there's, let's say, 50 people on a map, uh, 50 players are placed on a map with, it's like Call of Duty or something, and then one player plays as the dragon. Yeah. The dragon's trying to do whatever the dragons are trying to do in the movie, and everyone else is trying to just fight them, and it's just that. It's just a simple online game. There's no there's no campaign. Yeah. It's just a multiplayer drop 50 people onto a map and play, and I hate that that's kind of the fallback for every game these days, it feels <laughs> like, where it's just 100 people on a map, but... I don't know. I just think that when you've got a bunch of people playing against a big bad monster, it's it's fun. It's just a fun game mechanic, I agree. and yeah. and this is the best thing you can do with dragons. I mean, right now we've got Skyrim. Everybody's excited for that, so we already have a Skyrim. We have a George. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that you're trying to take somewhat of a positive angle on it, yeah. and because this game actually does have a lot of 
great elements other than, unlike a lot of these other games that we've talked about like there's no saving scorpion king no no this game had potential which made me sad scorpion king never scorpion king didn't have a chance in the mummy too but they damn it they tried <laughs> like like one cool thing about this is that you can play as human and dragon factions mm-hmm. so like yeah. there is the ability to play as dragons and in the dragon campaign uh, the game actually jumps forward to 2020. <laughs> oh, nice! Is is this what's coming for for Christmas? Is this what's going to happen? The dragons are going to take over. There's still a month left in 2020. At this point, anything is possible. The uh, and so when you're playing as like the the player dragon, I guess in the campaign, you know, clashes with humans, destroying stuff. You can actually get an ending where you win as the dragons and humanity is doomed. Oh, which cool! Which is pretty awesome. I love stuff like that. That's neat. Yeah, see, that's the thing is that this game has potential, and so did the movie. Just yep. for being something like this could have been as big as Pacific Rim, where it could have had just a cult following of people that loved it, or like yep. uh, Cloverfield, where the movie's based on a, you know it's a, it's a low budget. They didn't need Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey, and then the game itself. It's just a cool anything with dragons like has just so much potential. So well, dragons in the modern day, like I, I, can you think of anything else that has ever done that? The closest thing I can think of is Dragonheart with uh, oh, okay. Sean Connery. That's kind of the closest thing. Yeah. But that that's still like that's a not medieval. A game. No, it's not not yet. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 uh it's really t- too bad. This is definitely I think the game that missed the hardest. Uh, yeah. And and it and, and honestly it was just because they probably didn't get enough money and didn't get time to do this right. Probably. Yeah, we'll never know um unfortunately. But Mike, let's 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 give our closing thoughts now. If you had to pick one game out of this batch of games today, we covered 10. Are there any that you would recommend the listeners try to pick up or maybe one that you're now looking for? I could definitely say don't pick up Driven, which is the okay. that, that's good. <laughs> the one that, that's, I got. That's some that's some uh, advice. Okay. I mean, obviously, it depends what you're looking for, but mm-hmm. for me, I would probably pick up Reign of Fire actually, uh, just because I would like to see what this game really is about and and see like if this game is as bad as people are making it out to be. Um, Top Gun would probably probably be my second pick, okay. uh, especially because I think it's really cheap if I remember correctly. Uh, you said it was like 10 bucks. Yeah. All these yeah. games are I think the most expensive. <laughs> one is Rocky at 40 and everything else was under 20. So, yeah. So I think I, I, I would go either rain of fire or top gun. Those would be my picks. Those are good choices. I, I might agree with you. Like I said, I, I think, I mean, Rocky, I, I love Sylvester Stallone and I love the Rocky films, but I still wouldn't buy a video game based on Rocky. Cause like you, I'm not a huge fighting game fan. Yeah. I don't think those games are particularly interesting personally. Um, I'm going to have to go and, and, uh, give a complete skip where I probably, I'm not going to lie and say I'm looking for one of these games when I'm not, I'm not looking for any of these games now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, fair enough. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I'm keeping my eye out, but I'm not, uh, I'm not actively looking. Exactly. That, and I'm not even, even if I ran across one of these games in a store, I would still pass on them. Uh, yeah. I do really want to see minority report. I do mean that. And I highly recommend everybody watches Tarzan and check out the uh, soundtrack for Tarzan mm-hmm. and Top Gun. But uh, yeah, I think I'm going to pass on all 10 of these games. I won't be adding them to my collection unless I get them for free. But um, until then, I'll check out the uh, the movies in the meantime. Yeah, so for, I think to take away from this is uh, everyone will go watch Minority Report. And, and, and let's have a discussion about the ending next time. We can, uh, we can discuss that. Sure. All right, Mike, do you want to let everybody know what's coming up on episode 30 of the GameCube is Cool podcast? Oh my goodness, it's episode 30 already, Neil. We are yep. 30 episodes in, and that means we will be talking about the Polar Express and Christmas games that go along oh, with that. So, good. unfortunately, the Polar Express is the only kind of holiday game 
that uh, that is on the GameCube. But we will be talking about a lot of other games as well that have come out over the years and just the Christmas game genre mm-hmm. in, in general, which is very interesting. I, mean, I did some research on that earlier, and I'm very excited to show my findings. But uh, the Polar <laughs> Express is a, a pretty big thing for a lot of people, wouldn't you say, Neil? I would. I grew up reading the Polar Express book every year. We'll talk about it next week, but I did grow up reading the Polar Express book. And we were going to talk about the Polar Express, I believe, in movie tie-ins. But uh, we had a listener reach out to us asking if we were going to have an episode dedicated to the Polar Express. So we are doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to try and extend the episode a little bit more to talk about just Christmas as a whole and, and the video games surrounding it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I love the Polar Express and I love video games. So it's going to be a good time. <laughs> it's going to be a great time. Mm-hmm. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, this was episode 29 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast services. Write us reviews, positive or negative. We may read them on the podcast. Uh, check out our new website, thegamecubeiscool.com, where you can follow us on social media. You can check out our store. Uh, you can download our episodes, all the stuff. It's all there. Brand new website. We're very proud of it. Mike, good job. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Share us with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Tell your IT team, Neil says hi. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye.